gentlemen, welcome to the Real Talk Podcast. Welcome back into the podcast. We are so excited to announce that this is the first episode of our mini series, and it's in collaboration with Concrete Angels. And we have two Concrete Angels who are here with us. We got um, Shyamra and Tharika with us today. Shyamra is the founder of Concrete Angels, and oh my goodness, both of them, along with all of the volunteers, are such amazing women. Because what basically they do, um, Concrete Angels basically is a youth network that creates awareness and helps out uh, people and children that are going through sexual abuse in Sri Lanka. Shyamra, why don't you um, give us a small introduction of Concrete Angels and tell us why you initiated, what the motivation behind this whole network was. Of course, Jay. Thank you for that introduction. So I started Concrete when I was 15 as a pilot project. So at the time, I had to represent Sri Lanka at this competition in India. And as a requirement for the competition, I had to carry out um, a social service project. And the theme for the year was creating awareness on child sexual abuse. So as a part of this project, I conducted, I as along with many students from my school, we had awareness programs in many parts of the Western province. But something different that we did was we got an opportunity to engage with survivors of child sexual abuse. This experience truly changed my perspective because it was the first time that I had dealt with, I had rather engaged with a survivor um, where, because these were girls as young as 13 and 14 years. They were small girls. I was 15 at the time. And this was a group of 13 and 14 year old girls who have conceived out of rape. And most of the cases there were cases of incest because they were either raped by their father or their uncle. And even one of the girls that I got to know better was also a girl who got raped by her father. And she was about eight months along the way. And she couldn't go back home because she did not have any support from the mother. So that experience really wanted me to not stop there. And But at the time, I was obviously very young. I was 15 years in this subject. It's quite a challenging topic because of the cultural, um, cultural sort of backdrop in Sri Lanka. Because of that, when I turned 20, just after I turned 20, that was two years ago, we re-initiated this project and Tarika, who is here today, has been with us from the beginning. Now she's handling administration and outreach. And now we have a group of 28 girls and we also have a few boys helping us as well. And what we're trying to do is create awareness on child sexual abuse. If hopefully, if things go well in another two to three years, we really want to expand to legal aid and psychosocial support as well. So that is what we do. Tarika, if you were to describe Concrete Angels in your own words, what would those be? So it's, as Shana mentioned, I have been there for the past two years. From She started up again, you know, uh, from the administration to every single thing that we do. I've seen how she does it and why she does it as well, because we have been to... We have been to centers where they have survivors and the kind of work that they do and how we help them and how we try to get the message across to the world, right? I mean, even within the country, there is such a big taboo. But working with Concrete Angels, I know how many people that are around me that I have, you know, bought into the light of this issue, right? This big issue. And like every day, I think it's the most genuine and like the best work that I do. Um, and I give my best, like I give my best, right? The best part of myself into this work. And I'm so, so thankful to know Shiandra and for her to take me in at the beginning, right? Um, now we have like reached out to 20, 26 other people. So 26 other girls who are doing the work that they're doing for this cause. And each and every single one of them is such a big help. And um, even the boys we recently recruited, right? Like they got like the importance of this entire message in like through our lecture, right? And they have been so committed since then. And it's all of because of the experience that she and Rao went through and what she saw. So if anyone is like a guardian angel, she is, she's the one. So she makes all of us like 
do better for ourselves and to the next generation and everyone around us. So I'm just very thankful. Well, okay, hearing that, I think there's going to be a lot of other people that want to help you guys out, that wants to, you know, help out concrete angels in general. So, Shandra, how would you, to anybody else that wants to be a part of the Youth Network, how exactly can they be a part of it just before we move on to the rest of the conversation? First, James, so what they can do is they can DM us. Our Instagram handle is concreteangelsrtrade. And you can just send us a message and we'll get in touch with you. You just have to fill up a Google form, tell us a bit about yourself. And as soon as an opportunity comes up, we will surely get in touch with you. That's amazing. Um, Sahan, I think we need to talk about like child abuse in general in Sri Lanka. I think it's a very taboo topic just because um, I think we had this conversation, we touched on it like earlier on. And I think the biggest problem, again, this is my personal opinion, but the biggest problem in Sri Lanka is the fact that people think that scary things shouldn't be spoken about, okay? And I think that a, a problem with, like, sexual abuse, child rape is also that. Parents don't want to tell children to be careful because that's not something they want to even consider or talking about. But, Shandra, I think in the line of work that you do, you have also come to realize how important it is to actually have conversations to tell children that, look, this could happen if... Um, you know, to teach children consent from a young age and, and uh, the whole process of conception or whatnot. What, what is your idea about that? Right. So, like you correctly said, this misconception of we don't want to consider that as a possibility can be dangerous because I read that in this article by the Sun Morning this year that the Sri Lankan police have confirmed that a child is sexually molested every two hours in our paradise. So, High Paradise Island and Sri Lanka has fallen into the bottom 10% countries of the world that are safe for children. So, I think it's so important that we understand that there's a lot of work that has to be done in this regard. Um, and we start with having conversations with children since they're very young. And I also came to know that the youngest, youngest survivor of child sexual abuse, a boy, was three years old. And a girl was eight months old. So there, it's never, your, your child is never too young to understand this because its implications can last for so long. When you talk about COVID, when you talk about that, you call it a public health emergency. But child sexual abuse is the biggest, I'd say, public secret, um, which is so unfortunate. Therefore, it's really important that these conversations happen since children are very small. And uh, because if not, we are never going to get up this ladder of being a country that is safe for children. In our own experience, when we have projects, we see the hesitation to call what we do child sexual abuse events. It's always child abuse events because there is so much reluctance to say the S word. So if you're going, if you're not comfortable with talking about it, how are you going to do something about it? So I would say what we're doing is a little challenging because of this cultural fabric. But hopefully, after listening to conversations like this, if you are a parent or in another five or six years, if you're going to be a parent, uh, because I'm assuming most of the viewer base is probably our age, um, you will have these conversations with your children early on because it can really hurt them. If you don't have them before it happens, once it does happen, it is going to be very easy. If it does happen, it's going to be very difficult for them to have a conversation with you about. And it's really unfortunate. My, if I were to remember, like my first experience with uh, Concrete Angels was at the Peace Expo 20, 2019, yeah, 2019 Peace Expo. Uh, where I, uh, one of my friends were there, I was there to come here for the event and one of my f friends were there at the Concrete Angels stall and uh, she dragged me there and uh, funny enough, these girls left me in their stall and I was watching the stall for a good 20-30 minutes. I was it's sitting so there in the middle of people. Are you complaining uh, for helping out? No, no, I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining at all. But it was a funny incident where people came. They saw me sitting in the middle of a stall that said concrete angels. They looked at me in a weird way and they walked off. I think I might have like uh, affected their reach there <laughs> on, to a certain extent. But uh, yeah, it was an awkward point for me also because people didn't approach. They just looked at me like I just stole something. Like I'm just barging in. I'm like, I'm just here to watch the stall. One of the representatives will be here to answer your questions. And uh, while I was there, I was reading, uh, they had like, uh, 
they had like something like a leaflet and I was just reading through the stories. They even had a board and I was reading through the stories. Uh, they were quite terrifying because like just to read through them and I'm like, okay, wow, we really don't know a lot about what goes on. And uh, so the thing is, most of us, we like, uh, like y'all said, we live in a bubble, right? And we are protected from our families, even our friends to a certain extent where, you know, the information doesn't come to us or like it's kept from us to keep us safe. But then again, something that I know from personal experience, like my dad's a doctor and he has absolutely no problem talking about any topic out loud. So he straight up just says things and uh, he he always says like, okay, uh, listen, these are things that you have to worry about. Things like this happen in the world. There's nothing that we can do to stop every single one of them. But what you need to do is source your own sort of protection. Like you need to watch out for people. You need to like look at their behavior, how they act, because this can happen to you. Okay. And you need to do whatever you can to protect yourself. And like reading through the stories, it was really disturbing because I also have a sister who's uh, five years younger than I am. She's uh, 17 now. And I was reading through that and I was like, holy shit. That's disturbing. And uh, if I were to say this in like plain terms, uh, most of our episodes are like explicit anyway. So the balls these girls have, next level. I'll just leave it at that. Honestly, I'm, I'm like, it's, it's, I don't know, for me, what's amazing about Concrete Angels as well, so Sahan, you said you met them some time back. I actually got to know them when she first started it in school, right? I remember her going around giving people t-shirts, trying to uh, facilitate conversation about this. And I think what's amazing to me was a lot of projects like this just start up and it doesn't continue. But there have been so much support that Shiandra has given and the other girls as well. And it's carried on for so long and I definitely see so much potential in this, Shiandra. I just think you should go for it. Like Sahan said, I am so proud of your balls. I am so proud of your womanhood as a whole. And I th- I hope that this, this goes on to be a, a national endeavor, a global endeavor, if not. And I... I believe it has the potential to do that. I'm all for the support, but uh, wording of sentences, that's, I'll just keep it at that. Why? <laughs> huh? She suddenly, she suddenly like, all, she was all pumped up and she was like, I'm so proud of your boss. I'm like, wait, wait, hold on. I can hear that. <laughs> oh, that was a word. Let the wording oh, go. No, it's not. Let the wording go. <laughs> Let's get the gist of the idea of what I tried to say. That's, that's what important. <laughs> Um, okay, going back to this conversation though, um, Sahal and I both, we, we were really interested, Chandra, because both of us, the only information we have about child abuse, Sahal said his dad is a doctor, so he obviously gets information, but the only information I have is like the general media. And let's be real, the general media doesn't really talk about these things too much, right? So my question to you is, what, talk to us about child abuse, child sexual abuse in general. What are the different types of um, child abuse in Sri Lanka that are most prominent that you have come across? Thank you. Want to take yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so basically, like everything that we just spoke about, right? A child, anyone who is under 18, but like you mentioned in the media, in the world out there today, what we see happening in the country, you only see it on the news if somebody like, you know, some big shot is involved or, you know, it's like such a tragic story but as Shiana mentioned this happens every two hours in our country right so can you imagine the number of children per year and how many cases do we hear like like a handful right throughout the year like you hear it in Feb you hear it in July then again maybe at the end of the year you might hear a case but there's a child being abused two hours every like every two hours every day like for the year and like this has happened right Uh, we had um we had gone to the NCPA, the Child Protection Authority in Sri Lanka, and they mentioned they get about ten, about ten to thirteen thousand cases every year of child sexual abuse, right? But how many? Like that's what they hear, right? That's the people who are willing to complain, you know, like this thing has happened to their child. But there's so many, like parents, so many like children alone who don't have the capacity to go and complain and say that this happened to them. So the numbers are actually unknown because they tell us what they hear is probably 10 to 15% of the actual number. 
there is such a lack of information, lack of, you know, where it goes forward from there in the country that people just decide not to do anything about it. And that is so sad because can you imagine the number of children who are being, you know, un- unheard and uh, it's their stories. So basically, if you take child abuse, you can categorize into four different aspects. Right. Um, so when you say abuse, it's when a child is intentionally harmed by an adult or another child, right? Intention. The intention is there. I think that's so important to mention when we take cases of children, the intention. Because most of these cases happen because of another adult, right? So the intention is something you need to remember when you, if you decide to do something about what happened to the child. Right. Um, and this abuse can happen like, you know, one-off case, like one time for that one child, or it can happen over a period of long time, you know, months, years, you know, you just don't know because it's so unique for each and every child what they go through. And so it can be either physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, or it can even be the lack of love, care, and intention. So in that case, abuse falls under neglect. So those are the four types of main abuse um, as we categorize. But there are like, there's so many instances where a child can be hurt or um, taken advantage of, advantage of, um, that does not fall like strictly under these four. But as you say, research, research shows that these are the four main types um, that abuse is um, considered under. And you said that, uh, okay, so the, the whole point of this conversation is that it's child sexual abuse, right? And uh, obviously, you know, at the age of, even at the age of 18, that you aren't fully grown, you are, you don't understand the world entirely. You know, there's a lot more experience that you are again. How does an incident like this affect the child, like, like his or her mental growth? So each person's mentality, right, their maturity depends on them the kind of experiences that they have been through. That is what life is, being able to, uh, you know, have experiences that shape who you are. But for a child, um, let's say at the age of four, something happened to them, you know, um, they go through like sexual abuse. How will they know if this is right or wrong? Right? If they, if, you know, if what's happening to them is wrong, Right, so it depends if the child, so it solely depends on one thing, the awareness of the child, right? And if it's a younger child, you know that the chances of the child being aware that they are being taken advantage of is so low, right? Um, You know, when you go to school, when you're 12, 13, you know that uh, these are the areas someone can touch me. You know, these are the areas someone can't touch me, right? The good touch, bad touch, such comes in, you know, at school, you know, you are able to talk to, talk to friends, you know, you might be able to talk to like your sister, your brother, but when it's a really young child, the awareness is so low that the child doesn't know if, you know, ah, the child wonders, are they doing this out of love? Ah, this uncle is doing this to me because he loves me. This is him showing me that he cares about me. Right? So children try to internalize these things and think that these things are normal because they think ah, this, this person is only showing me love because he cares about. They can't move out of that bubble of, oh my God, this is, you know, this shouldn't happen to me. You know, I'm only four years old. Right? This right. is wrong. They can't come to that. They're not mature enough. I'm so sorry, Tarika, like interrupt you for a second, but I also think you said four-year-old and this whole idea of like, oh, it's probably not wrong. He loves me, so that's what he's doing for me. I've heard so many stories of, you know, I, I actually have heard um, a story of how this uncle was like, oh, I'll give you a lollipop if you let me touch me, let me touch you like this. And that to me is so sad, which is why I think what you're saying is so important, where we need to teach children from as 
young as possible about you know this is your private part like you can't this is where it's okay for other people to touch you and this is what's not okay and i think that boundary definitely needs to be set at a very young age so thank you for bringing that up but tarika i also want to talk about something that you spoke on a few minutes earlier and that was with regards to this whole unreported scenarios you said that there's so many um, scenarios that are reported okay but there are also so many that goes you know that's just swept under the carpet why do you think that is why is it such a big issue in sri lanka why can't people actually report the abuse that is happening to their children what do you think the reason for this is um chandra <laughs> yeah yeah so one big thing is one big complete issue is the stigma when you know we were talking earlier about how these girls are put into these shelters if they are pregnant for um nine months and then when everything is done when the job is done and the baby is delivered the you can sort of come and take the child back to your home because that's the kind of mentality people have because of the shame and the shame attached to this so the stigma attached that, that is a kind of i just want to explain the mental mentality towards this it's a lot of shame even though more if even though it's not the child's fault um so forget the extent of being impregnated by this even a court case being filed people don't want to go through it because of the shame attached to the the incident of child sexual abuse that's one thing the second thing is some would think that this 1929 child line is widely known that's not true we know that because it's all over social media we have access to phones we have access to the internet but that's not true all over they don't know that what's happening to them is wrong i read about this a story where this girl was getting um, sexually abused by her father and she went and told her grandmother and the grandmother said that along with her mind but that's not true fathers are not like that but they think it's normal for fathers to do that that because of that lack of knowledge and the acceptance that these things are all right also there is a, why should you report something that is okay that is another reason then another reason is the perpetrator is someone known or someone in your family itself apparently between 2000 and 2018 out of all the cases 96% of the abuses were people that the victims themselves knew so if you have your perpetrator hovering around you imagine it's locked down what are the chances that you can pick up the phone and file a complaint against someone in your own house you are under severe threat so there's no one that the child can trust so that is one other reason for reporting then during covid uh, because of this lockdown situation everybody doesn't have access to phones right you don't you can't pick up the phone and make these calls like you and i might have the luxury of doing for them it's a matter of going to the police um, uh, to the police station and filing a complaint but because of covid um those are not effectively carried out as much there are uh, the court cases are so the court system is stuck so all of that also contributes and then you have the unfortunate situation where you where the father rapes a child and the father is the breadwinner of the family so now what can you do this is the only person who can put four meals on your table so are you going to really can you afford sending him to jail for a couple of years what are you going to do are you are you willing to take a risk the risk of protecting your child but you have other children to do look uh, after you have yourself to look after what do you do then then again you don't report so there are so many cases like this people don't trust the legal system they are not happy with how things are going so all of this contributes to the lack of reporting jamie yeah i just wanted to add to what you were saying and uh, the obviously the way the system even the system works but you can't even blame the system because of like the like the frequency of cases that they get uh by the time you're done with the case it will be a good few years and like i can imagine from like the perspective of a victim imagine being brought forward and are uh, being asked to tell the same story for years and years on it right by that time you just want to be done with it so i can understand why there's a lack of uh, uh, reporting but what would you say are the behavioral signs of somebody so like say somebody doesn't want to report or like they they just want to keep it secret period so what are the behavioral signs of a person who has undergone uh, a sexual abuse or a child for that matter so so in that case that 
it's it's the like you said they are they are unwilling to report right it's the guilt and the shame maybe being alone because there is no one they can talk to about what happened right um so behavioral signs would be that um they are shame of themselves they are shame of their body right um you know there's there's this uh you know purity concept in our society right like the child is no longer pure like you know they don't see themselves as pure they are you know unworthy of love and care because this has happened to them and because of all these fe- how they feel in their head um they start to see themselves in a different light physically like they won't love themselves they will want to isolate themselves they will have low self esteem right um and of course there would be like poor uh traumatic stress right because everything is so internalized right there is like nowhere they can turn to because of those things everything that they are feeling and the things that they are seeing they tend to keep it to themselves so because of that obviously there is anxiety depression you know it goes on a whole list of different things how someone can be feeling right and because there is no one they can talk to they will have difficulty coping in their day to day life right and things at school can fall apart you know the grades even a child who can cover it up well will not be feeling good on the inside right and that will affect their mentality how they see the world and you know everything just becomes dark and dull at that point because you know what what happens from there this whole subject as a whole tend to change somebody's life and not in a good way to be honest right and where we see things are going it's never the good way because there is only a little chance the child reports it or there is somebody the child can get help from right because there is just such limited resources it's just like just you're just walking into like a dark alleyway Absolutely. Um when you guys were talking about this I was thinking of this like mini series that I watched on Netflix. I can't remember the name of it. It was a Hindi mini series, okay? And there was this one series about this little child that got raped and she's a lovely family or what not. And the kid gets raped and more the the TV series basically was about how the family tries to comprehend the situation because for the mother it was almost as if she didn't want to believe that this happened. So she knew that her little daughter had gotten raped but she didn't she, like she kind of blocked it all out in her head she was like no it didn't happen it didn't happen and she kind of considered um, you know throwing her daughter off a cliff she loves her child but she, these are all things that she considered and it's almost like her mentality of how to comprehend the situation which i think is something that a lot of mothers or a lot of parents go through in our society as well because they don't want to think of their little daughter a child who barely you know started walking or what not um, getting sexually abused and i think that definitely we're talking about child abuse but we also need to talk about like the adult perception of it and i think that is an amazing thing that you guys brought out that definitely people listening also is going to gain a lot out of Maybe what you're saying is very true because I was reading this story earlier and to enter these behavioral signs, so this girl told her mother and like she said, the mother didn't, uh, I think she was a Pakistani girl, the mother didn't believe her. And so she started acting out in school. She started fighting in school. Mm-hmm. She started classes so that somebody would notice her and ask her. So anyway, she goes, uh, she uh, gets pregnant later on and then after that, uh, she marries and uh, she gets into a relationship with another guy who's again abusive. so on and so forth and at 30 she says the real no matter what psychological help she got the real closure she got was at 30 when she reunited with her mother and her mother she wanted the mother to say i'm sorry i it's happened to you and i believe you that's the only thing she wanted to hear so it's so important like like you said to believe the child for oh, i legit have goosebumps for that i think Uh, I think that is when we talk about sexual abuse that's not one aspect that we talk about like victim talking to the victim and believing the victim and oh yeah I think that's absolutely important to talk about as well Shyendra uh, when you uh, when we were talking about this uh, topic you had mentioned something about male child sexual abuse now something that I find uh, not interesting to say but like I'm very curious to know a lot of people uh, when you just think of the then you just think of the you know topic child sexual abuse they always think it's a girl and because of this reason 
they specifically don't want to mention anything about male child sexual abuse, which does happen. Uh, because I've heard a story in um, juvenile prison where some older boys uh, got ganged up on uh, a small boy who I think had gone in for like some aggressive behavior or like he has like brutally beaten up a child. Now, even this child was at the age of 13, 14, if I'm not too wrong. Uh, but the older boys ganged up on him and he had been raped. Now, the prison guards just refused to believe it. They were like, no, it's a boy's prison. It's a, this doesn't happen because this happens in like, you know, real prisons where like men are put in. So they just refused to believe it. And this case was just swept under. Even the reporter who uh, reported the incident uh, has said like, uh, with the current or with the ongoing situation, I like it is the author's belief that this incident will never come to light, like never, you know, see it, uh, the light of day in a court. So what are your thoughts on it? Khan, would you believe me if I said that sexual abuse happens more with boys than with girls in our country at least? That is, even I was surprised by the thought of it because all you assume is that girls are there because what we see is girls getting pregnant and girls getting the captured. Things that happen to girls capturing the media and boys are completely neglected in this whole process. And this is not new. What I want to share today is the sexual abuse of boys states um, is quite um, and not a new situation rather. So I'm a law student and what I can do is tell you about legal cases and one is this famous uh, Kaduna, Kadugarnava poster bomb case where a tailor was sentenced to death by hanging because he murdered a 14-year-old schoolboy by an electrically detonated parcel bomb because he rejected a perpetrator. This Taylor used to lure these small school boys for sexual activities in his piton room. And what he used to do was he used to promise boys um, bike rides on his red motorcycle, red bicycle rather. So that is how that unfortunate story went. And um, James, you might know this guy, this writer called Karl Muller. And in some of his books, he's a semi, uh, semi-fiction writer and he writes about various ethnic communities in Sri Lanka. And he used to write about the 1930s and the 1940s. And he talks about the widespread occurrence of child sexual abuse in Colombo, which shows that it was, it was, a, it was happening even back then. And it was, he was addressing it quite casually to show that it, it, it was not a one-off incident. And um, the reason, Sahan, you say that these things don't surface is because, as the phrase goes, ships don't leave tracks on water. That is to say that boys don't get pregnant. Their virginity is not challenged. So sometimes it's easier because the consequences are lesser with boys. And even today, like I said, it happens with boys more than it happens with girls for this reason. Especially in the context of commercial sexual exploitation, which happens a lot in the coastal areas of Sri Lanka. And this happens because of the financial situation that the parents sort of sell their children so that they can put food on the table. And the, the problem, and in fact, there was a, an international gay magazine, I think it was in the 1980s, there was an international gay magazine that, that sort of cited Sri Lanka as a destination for homosexual tourism and cited the availability of boys. So this is not a new occurrence. And the problem with the law is that rape, the definition of rape in, the, in Sri Lankan law is where you engage in sexual intercourse with a girl under 16 years. So technically, you can't rape a boy. You can only rape him sexually abuse him. And now what happens is, I just said that he's under 16, right? But a child is under 18. Now what happens to the boys between 16 and 18 that are so raped? You know that homosexual homosexuality is an offense in Sri Lanka. Then, even if you are a child, if you're more than 16, you are not covered under rape sexual abuse. You become a perpetrator of this crime because homosexuality is illegal, rather homosexual intercourse is illegal and not a victim. That's the problem with the law. So I think in relation to the protection of male children, we have a lot of work to do. I think there was a movie, uh, it's a singular movie about a boy who comes to visit yeah. his mother in the hospital. Yeah, it's a, I can't remember the name of the movie. It's at the table. I can't remember. In singular, five petals, um, a flower with five petals. 
Yeah, yeah. Who old? I know what you're talking about, Sahan. That for me. Was yeah, yeah. It's. Um, I can't remember the name as well. I wish people would watch it more. Oh my gosh! I, okay, I'll, I'll try to figure it I, out. I can't remember the. Yeah, I can't remember the name of the movie, but uh, it shows where this child he's uh, he's in Colombo. He's in the city, so he he's technically in the city. Uh, he's he came to visit his mother at the hospital. And it's about his journey here in the city. And like at one point, this person says, I think, and like they take him to uh, like a hotel where there's a tourist. And then this man just gives the boy to the tourist. And uh, the tourist is like, not just said. And the next scene is the ch- child naked running out of the room. So you can understand what happened there. So it's, it's depicted in some way. This is the a white man, right? The white guy. Yes. Yes, yeah. uh, I can't remember the name of the movie. Uh, so I was talking about a different movie. I think it's called Frangipani. Uh, I'm trying to see. Yeah, that's the one. Frangipani. Okay, it was a 2014 movie, and it's about homosexuality in Sri Lanka. It's more of like what she understood about how homosexuality is is a crime, and like you know, even if they get raped, it, nobody's gonna talk about it because that person did a crime by engaging with another man sort of situation. So, Sahan, I haven't watched the movie that you said, but we'll definitely share it if we remember. I'm, I'm, trying, to go, I'm trying to Google the name because it's, I really, really uh, like that movie because it's, it's, a, it's a story about how in, in a child's perspective, how the city is. Now, this boy is from a small village and he comes... Is it Samanalatak? Yes, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yes, Samuel Yes, two thousand five film. Yeah, it, it's about it's about this child who comes to the town to you know. I think it's visit his mother or father who's in the hospital, and it, the whole story is based off that child's view, not the view of an adult, not the view of you know the the director or anyone. It's that child's perspective, how he perceives the world, how he perceives this big city. And uh, there's a very catchy song in it as well. I can't remember. It's a very catchy song. It's it's in my head. I can't remember the words. But uh, you should really watch this movie. Someone that way. It's a very good movie, and it does depict a small side of like the bad side of the city. Yeah, Jamie. I think uh, you want to take the next one. Um, yeah, definitely. So, but we want to talk about, actually, just before that, I want to add something because you guys brought up some really interesting things. And when I was small, I used to go in the van and my van uncle lived in the Bamalaputia beach stretch, okay? And, and, you know, he would talk about, like, I was very small and so I didn't really understand these things. But the first time I heard this phrase, beach boys, was from my uncle, right? And he had, like, two daughters and he would say, Ogolo Mitsura, Ogolata Hundagevalti, and I was like, no, that's not possible. Like, my school is right there. This is a highly developed stretch of area, right? There's no way that foreigners still come and just randomly take little boys um, to satisfy their sexual desires. And then my, that man was like, and for me, for me, it was so crazy that I didn't even believe it. I was just like, no, he's exaggerating. And then I came and asked my mom and she's like, yeah, it's very common. There's, there's literally foreigners, at least a few years back, that would come to like Mount Lavinia Beach and, and Bambalakutia Beach stretch especially is apparently known for beach boys who are basically really small kids that parents don't have money to feed them. So they're like, yeah, just take him and do whatever you want for a few hours. And that for me is so like, no, I don't want to believe that that's true, but it's actually happening. And I don't know if this is news to you guys, but that for me was like such a mind blowing. I I first uh, found out about this, and I was like very small. We used to go to this uh, down south. There's a stretch mm-hmm. called Valigama. That's a place called Valigama. Mm-hmm. Really, really nice beach. Beautiful beach, and the water's so nice. So it's a very famous tourist destination. Plus, like even for locals, it's one of the best places to go. Uh, I we were in Valigama, and this dude with just like shorts. You know, uh, braided hair, like like braided hair and like colored also. Was walking around and this uh, he was with this uh, foreigner, like a girl. He was holding hands with the foreigner, and I'm like, okay. Uh, I looked at my mom. I was like, okay, uh, that's an odd relationship. And like, I was very small. I can understand it. Okay. And my mother's like, uh, don't look at that. Don't look at that. That's a beach boy. 
I was so confused. She stopped the conversation there, like she just explained everything. I was like, you can't just stop the conversation here because I don't get it. What's a beach boy? Like I'm, I'm in the beach, so technically I'm also a beach boy. Like, no, you're not. <laughs> I mean, that's where that's where like any any sort of explanation in a Sri Lankan parent just stops. You see something you shouldn't see, and they just put a name on it and full stop. End of discussion. Oh, oh no! My, my mom went the whole nine yards. My mom was, I was like, I'm also a beach boy. She's like, no, you're not a beach boy. A beach boy is a person, and she gave me the whole description. Like I was traumatized. I was like, I want to go home. I'm done. That is it for me. Enough of the beach for today. <laughs> Enough of the beach for today. Okay, moving on to the next question. I think we sidetracked just a little bit, but Shandra, I was very curious to know you yourself and uh, together with all of your volunteers, you've had personal experiences with survivors. What are your experiences like? And to me, somebody who doesn't have first-hand experience with all of these survivors, how could we, the general public, help somebody psychologically and help somebody out that has gone through a situation like this? What What do you think? So, Jane, I remember when we were to Karantara visit uh, when we were 15, we, we said we wanted to come up with a few activities that, that, that were sort of keep them occupied, right? And so we thought we would sing Baila and all this song. And then we went there and we realized they don't really know Baila because the 13 and 14, all they knew was Dharma Lavidigi, which was so sad. And then what we realized was they are so childish. And then this very thing, this, this childishness is only used against them because it is because they don't know that makes them prone to this kind of thing. And then we realized that there wasn't a big difference in our age and they were so eager to have a piece of normality, I'd say, especially when you're in this shelter. They were asking us about our O levels, they were asking us, uh, us about what they what we learned, that that want to come out of that shelter and sort of get back to their usual lives that yearning was so evident. And so Tarika and I were just talking about this, they just had one experience, right? Or like over a certain number of years, this experience that changed their whole life. Now they're removed out of their homes and they're put in these shelters because, you know, they are they're, they're taught to be independent because there's nowhere else they can go. And um, so those are the shelters itself, right? But you, that is a spectrum where you are removed from your homes, you are pregnant, that side of the spectrum. And this is not to say that their experience is more important than the ones who don't are uh, sort of with their families and if they have a different experience. Um, but what, when they reach out to us, what they say is they they still have nightmares. And it's like, it happened to me when I was eight. Now I'm 18, but I still have nightmares. And then uh, this feeling of feeling of feeling dirty, and quite a few have said this is the first time I'm talking about it, which means that they haven't really received any sort of emotional support. Which and we are not necessarily professionals, and we are not, we are unable to act as a therapist or a counselor. What we can do is listen. So more of the should and shouldn't do's, Tari will enlighten you. I just want to clarify that it's just like Chiana mentioned, like these, so whether you are removed from your home and into a facility, right, then you're a child in that facility. So the that facility will give you the things that you need, like they know that the survivor would need, right, like uh, counseling, you know, um, like everything that you, the Chinese, they would have taken care of, right. Um, but if it's someone like your friend and they come to you and they're telling you, look, I've been through this, I, I don't know what to do about it. And they're talking to you about it. Like, I mean, you're not a professional. So there are lists of do's and don'ts, right? And psychologically, how you can help is just be there for them, right? Just listen to them. Say, I, I know what you have been through, right? I understand what happened to you. And it is not your fault. I think, you know, that just those, you know, three simple sentences can change their view of how they feel about themselves. So if somebody decides to open up to you, it is the most important thing that you let them like speak it out, right? They, they have trusted you and they have come to you. So all you have to do is just sit and listen to what they, you know, what they have to say. Right. And it doesn't matter how their story might struck you and you'll be like, oh my God, 
something similar has happened to me or I know of someone who, you know, also somebody else who this has happened to, don't make it your, don't make it your story, you know. In, in that span of 20 minutes or whatever they're saying, just listen to them. Say, I care about you. I, I'm thankful you came to me, you know, just and then just let them die. Just the fact that they have told someone about their experience, right? And then after they have calmed down, you know, they can be tears, they're hurt, they're shame. You know, there's so many emotions that they're going through, right? Feeling it on the inside after such incident happened is a different thing to when you tell someone about it, right? When you trust somebody to tell them about your experience, it's a whole different level, right? And that also takes so much courage, like so much patience. And depending on how long the survivor has gone through this traumatic experience, the time, their time to digest it, like, you know, that also depends on each and every single person. So being there, being present, listening to them and telling them that you believe them are the most important things immediately. And then if you're their friend, just ask them what they want to do about it, right? Ask them, if, and if they are unaware of their options, as a friend, you can look at the options and be like, I heard about this, I looked this up, and these are the kind of things we can do about the experience you have been through. Because I want you to get the help that you need. So when you are trying to be there for somebody, just make sure that they have the power and they have the control. Because it is their experience. So it is their, like, it's their life, right? So they should be able to call the shots. Whether they don't want to talk to a professional, they want to tell their parents, right? As a friend, what you can do is, if they say, I want to tell my parents, but I don't want to do it alone, can you be there for me, right? I mean, you can say no. It is also, you know, it can be a lot for you to take in as well, because these experiences are not easy. Right. But if they ask you, can you be there for me when I tell my parents, then, you know, as you, as you are their friend, that is your decision to make, right? And if they tell their parents and their parents decide not to do anything about it, right? As the friend, you can't take control of it. Again, it is that survivor's right, right? What they want to do. Okay, their parents don't believe them. If she wants to tell someone or if he wants to tell somebody else that they trust who is an adult, Right, they they have to make the shots, and that's the most important thing. Just be present, be there, let them take control of their experience, and every little thing about their life will change. Right after such experience, their romantic relationships, and how they perceive to see the bigger world, how they perceive to see their family and friends. Because if they find out, how would they react? Right. We know that if such incident happened to us, there are certain parts of the family who will be like, oh, no, no, hush, hush. And then there'll be the certain part of the family who will want to take your side and who will want to do their best. But make sure you always give the power to the survivor. That is the most important thing, right? So they can take charge of their life. Because in some aspect, they have lost the charge of their life when that incident happened. And so it's important that they feel like they're regaining the confidence to be like the main character in their life. So I think that's what sums it up. Absolutely. Um, you said something, power to the survivor. I think that's also something that doesn't happen in our society or just like, not just in Sri Lanka, I think in the world in general, a lot of the victims are kind of looked at like outcasts and they are sort of looked at lesser human beings. Whereas in my opinion, if you've gone through something like that and if you made it out, that in itself makes you more of a human being than everybody else. And I think one thing that we need to stop doing is to stop treating the victims of sexual abuse, child or adult. It doesn't matter. Uh, we need to stop treating them like they're outcasts and we need to... Um, Try to make them feel comfortable, I think. And I think that's definitely one thing that we can nurture through uh, spreading the message that, you know, they're just victims. It's not something they wanted. They never asked for it. It happened. And, and that's just that, you know, it doesn't make them any lesser human beings. And that, that is a very important message that I wish everybody out there understand. And I love how the, like, how this brown culture is based off the fact, like, we are closer to our families, you know, like our surrounding is like, 
we are more closer to our parents than you know white kids they are more they are more like loving and you know very closer to our families and suddenly something like this happens and you're like okay no no one will talk about this nobody will mention this we are just going to go on like it never happened and then the victim not only this the victim has like has to go through everything that they went through alone they are also put in a situation that they can't even reach out for help it's not that they like they desperately want to they at least want someone to hear them out but like if they were spoke out about this they are like the same family that you you know like the whole like the base of like the rooting of all the brown culture views are just suddenly you know turning against them and they're like no 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 you keep this under wraps and like you know don't talk to anybody about this like i love how that concept just like registers into people like the idea i don't know why it's there but it's there the irony huh i think it'd be so careful with what you say because so we went we had a training right recently and then um, one of the girls actually asked is it true that um no no, no. he asked um, what kind of people are these perpetrators and one of the girls said okay is it perpet is it that perpetrators have themselves abused um been sexually abused as children and then he was like you can't say that he was in such a nice kind and i was a little confused because this is something that we had read but this guy was quite in denial of it so obviously i was a little curious and then i came across this story where the same pakistani girl i was talking to you about earlier when she had a child the whatever protection services were insisting that she should get counseling because survivors of sexual abuse turn into perpetrators and she says this this affected her so much that she could breastfeed the child properly because every time she did she felt like she was abusing him so that kind of impact was there because of this statement so we have to stop i think that's something we ought to learn because in that training if there was someone who had been sexually abused that is a very offensive thing to say to say that these sexual abuse survivors were turning to perpetrators so i think we have to be very careful with what we say and even when we visit these shelters um they ask they can be very attached to us right? and they're like i akena mother and we don't promise them things because it's based on these promises that their world is already broken so us making promises that we can't keep is so unfair so i think you have to be very careful with what you say to these survivors that's something that i want everyone listening to know also that you know it's it's okay to be silent then give them promises and tell them things that you can't possibly guarantee right i mean if you can't follow through with your word just be silent you know just give them a hug you know tell them that you understand them and those words are fine just telling them i believe you i understand what you're telling me right you know just try not to make promises i think it's it's such an important thing to say just don't make promises that you can't keep because you know those are the kind of things that they will start looking forward to in life when they don't know what is happening when they don't know their future right um so just you know just listen and be there for them and just there's no right thing to say and it's okay if you don't say anything as long as they can understand that you are there for them which is the most like important thing shandra something i wanted to touch on is uh, now obviously say that an incident like this happened from there on out what is it like to live life after such an incident if it means going back to how you felt before all of this happened i think that would be a challenge because we as humans are sort of the culmination of our experiences and our thoughts and our feelings but what it can do like jamie right to say is make you a strong human being so not every child story has to end badly and i'm not a psychology student but from my understanding the brain is far more plastic more malleable than we think so with the right opportunities you really can prepare some of um, some of the uh, some of your childhood trauma and these experiences can be converted into something very powerful uh, most of these survivors or some survivors they turn on to be advocates to not let this happen to any child to change systems to change circumstances that you're not thrown into 
And you, as a parent who have survived something like this as a child, to ensure that this doesn't happen again. And then you have shelters in place that try as much to um, to enable these children to teach them IT skills, communication skills, to rehabilitate them so that they don't let this experience dominate the rest of their lives. So there definitely can be powerful stories that come out of this. And I think it would be unfair to refer to them as victims for the rest of their lives because they are survivors and they are not victims. And Tarika, I understand you are the psychology expert uh, here. So if I were to ask you the same question, can life return to a state of normalcy like before the incident happened? Can that uh, can and what should you do to you know enable a victim to go back to that state of normalcy? Um, so it depends what we consider normal as well, right? I mean, if the child came from a very you know strict and harsh, harsh you know uh, background, they wouldn't want to go back to that after such incident. You know, they might find themselves in um, in a situation where they can move forward in a different way. Because it depends on how how that experience changed them. Because I think it would be um, it would be wrong to say that this sort of experience does not change someone. Whether it is good or bad, it definitely changed someone's like mental perspective of the, how they see things. So there is actually I don't believe that that is going back to that normalcy because you tend to mature with experiences like this. Whether you want to or not, these things are internal, right? So it's important you get the help that you need so that you can ensure that this doesn't happen to someone, you know, your sibling or anyone, you know, or your child in the future. And you turn things around for yourself. Because if you look, uh, there are a lot more people who are there for you than the ones who are not there for you. So just get the right kind of help. And uh, there are lots, lots and lots of more resources now than there ever was. So um, just trust the one person that you think that you can go to. And from there on, when you have one person that is supporting you, um, it gets easier. You know, every step with every decision you make to help yourself, things will only get easier. So uh, please give yourself that chance to get the help that you need. I think that's the most important thing to say. This entire episode was took a little dark theme, but if we were to end on a bit more wholesome note, I think the fact that you know uh, themes like concrete angels are there, and uh, uh, themes like ours who are willing to like you know make sure their voices are heard. I think uh, you know an accumulation of all of this is uh, some remnants of change. So that's better than where we were. Obviously, there's a long way to go. Yeah, we are not even close to the end. There's a long way to go. But we have come a long way from where we were. And I think that is a good start. Something to be uh, proud about and something to look forward to. As in, the world won't be the same once we are done. So, there will be some remnants of change. So, I think that's a a more wholesome note that we can uh, kind of put things to. Jamie, what are your thoughts on this? Oh, absolutely. I agree with you. For me, hearing the stories that she understood was really scary. But knowing that, like, people, like, we are still young. All of us here, we're barely, you know, we're like 22, 21, right? And the fact that they're doing all of this in itself, I don't know, gives me hope for humanity. I don't know if I'm being really cheesy saying that. But it's definitely a lot of hope that's there. And that's all we can hope for. Hopefully, in a few years when we grow up, we'd have more conversations like this and our children will have a better world to live in than what we do right now. Alright, so that was, for me personally, that was such an eye-opening conversation and we are so grateful for having Concrete Angels with us to facilitate such conversations. We hope everybody listening enjoyed as well, so thank you if you stayed up until the end of this conversation. Thank you uh, to you as well. And uh, I just want to say again, a big thank you going out to Shiandra and Tarika. You guys took time off your busy schedules to be with us and we are so grateful for that. Thanks for having us, Jamie, and we congratulate you for all the work you're doing and we wish you the best of luck for all the changes that you will surely make. You went to Anbu. Um, Thank you for having us again. I hope we work together in the future a little bit more and uh, good luck for the new series, guys. Yeah, and I think 
we can wrap up for our very first episode of the mini series and this is also like a, like a again a more wholesome note uh, this is our first collaboration like this is the first episode that we are collaborating with another organization and i am proud to say it is concrete angels these girls are doing so much and uh, it's so happy to see like people stepping up and you know taking charge of things and it's really energizing to see that how you know vocal and how uh, straightforward our youth is and uh, yeah i think that's great to see so with that being said we can close off the episode for today my name is sahan darmasena i am jemina nayakar this is shani gunaratna and tarika mayum signing off